You've hit play on the Screen Companion, a show about making your viewing time count. This is an episode about Star Trek. Sure, we have a couple of specific examples to get into that happen to be both about time travel, but let's step back a second and look at the bigger picture the only stuff in my mind that exists runs from 2005 and earlier. <laughs> Excellent. But I wonder if I'm trying to recommend stuff in the show, how successful can I be in pitching Star Trek to an audience nowadays that seems to like what it likes? So I might really be just preaching to the choir when I do a Star Trek episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you might be. <laughs> but hey, I don't care, and maybe I'll edit it down to a shorter episode so it's not too painful for people. But give me a chance, folks. <laughs> give the man a chance. So let's break it down. Just talk about the franchise for a second. I know for a fact, John, that you are a Star Trek fan. It was on when I think I was like 10-ish, I want to say Next Generation. That's what I grew up with. I just couldn't stop watching. My aunt really liked the show, and she'd always watch, and I just started just sitting down and watching all the episodes with her. Well, that's a cool aunt. Yeah, something, I don't know, something clicked, and I was just like, I, I need to see every episode now. <laughs> and what was it that really engaged you? I think it was just how much more, I want to say, human it was over, like, Star Wars, which my dad was a huge fan of. I really like Star Wars, but that's, that's like, adventurous stuff. That's fantasy. The evil, the evil space wizard controls the Empire, and the peasant boy's got to take them down. Whereas Star Trek is like, it's more political, it's more intellectually engaging. Even at 10 or 11 years old, you were thinking that way? Not 100%, but yeah, I was leaning that way. We've known each other for, ooh, over a decade now, I believe. Let's call it. We had a good run. We'll call it here. <laughs> <laughs> well, depending on what your opinion is about the episodes we talk about, maybe it will be our last episode in Contact. <laughs> <laughs> we had Star Trek First Contact. This is Star Trek Last, last Contact. contact. <laughs> but it reminds me of something that you pointed out. Uh, believe it or not, listeners, not the first time John and I have talked about Trek. <laughs> surprise, surprise. We were just talking about it, and you mentioned something that I'd never really considered, but it made total sense, and it was staring me in the face the whole time if I had just paid attention to it, is this idea that across all Star Trek, when it's doing its job, every series has that outsider character to explore their humanity, or what is, what is humanity... Uh, what's an alien perspective on it? Or like Data, if he's trying to achieve humanity, what does that mean? And you said there's Spock, Data, Odo, T'Pol in Enterprise. Who was it on uh, Voyager? Uh, I think it was... The Doctor? He definitely went through trying to achieve humanity. His story in Voyager, I think, is the best one. 
he starts out as a second-class citizen, really. And then they slowly explore the concept of holograms being sentient life. I would say the Doctor, but I would also argue because they're the only humans around the crew, I think it's the reverse of them teaching the Delta Quadrant what it means to be human. So you're saying the ship is a character, it's our emissary to that quadrant. Hmm. I believe you're right. Job well done. We're finished. Thank you. Thank you. Quickest episode. (laughs) In my appreciation of the franchise and hopefully doing multiple installments of this look back on classic Trek, which now I'm changing the meaning of to be 2005 and earlier... So none of that Abramsverse stuff, none of the Picard or Discovery. It is my hope that one day somebody who really cares about Star Trek and knows what it's about, some producer will come in, do a new version of it, and then just put a a title screen that says, nothing after 2005 is canon. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of like the way Superman Returns tried to wipe away 3 and 4. Yeah. And Dark Fate for Terminator tried to get rid of everything after Terminator 2. That's what I want for Star Trek. I'm sure we could figure something out. We've got two versions of what a time travel episode can be, especially in the realm of Star Trek. Both of our picks today happen to be from Deep Space Nine, but it's not either of ours favorite series, correct? You're a TNG guy, ultimately? I'm a TNG guy. I do appreciate Deep Space Nine. It's got a nice little Casablanca in space to it that I think really works. Yeah, and, and it really stretches the concept in some interesting ways. It really did something different from TNG. So while I appreciate it intellectually, because of its darkness and its kind of grimy set design, it's not as bright and playful as other Star Trek shows, which is perfectly in line with the story it's telling. But because of that, I I don't want to revisit it as much as I would a TNG or my personal favorite to the groan of all the hardcore Trek fans out there, Enterprise. Uh. (laughs) I think part of it is those guys I'd like to hang out with. So when I put on an episode of Enterprise, it's like I'm right there with Scott Bakula. (laughs) Hey, buddy, it's good to see you again. I mean, he just seems like a nice guy. I definitely identify with Jonathan Archer. We have the same first name. We're both from upstate New York, and we both moved to San Francisco. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Well, damn, I don't have any deep connection with a character (laughs) like that. Don't you dare say Harry Kim. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say Tuvok. (laughs) I'll take Sulu. I'll give you Sulu. (laughs) Even the gay one from uh, the new movies. I'll take a totally different orientation than have to be Harry Kim. (laughs) Already we're doing all these inside Trek jokes that a regular Joe listener isn't going to care about whatsoever. I think we've lost half of them. 
They're gone already. They've already downloaded the episode, right? I don't know how this works. We got clicks. That's we're good. <laughs> Time travel in Star Trek. How do you normally feel when you know it's a time travel episode? I get excited. I like time travel. I, you know, grew up on Back to the Future, became a Doctor Who fan later in life. But I think with a lot of these time travel episodes, all of them, there's always a threat of something's going to be different forever. And you know the status quo generally goes back to normal after that very episode. So I think instantly there's the knowledge that they're going to get out of it. I'm not big into time travel in the context of Star Trek. I'd rather have flashbacks instead of actual time travel. Overall, I don't think it's a very good thing. But there are some bright spots, like we're going to talk about today. Um, Before we get right into the episodes, though, I wanted to talk about one thing about the franchise overall. I did some half-assed research, and I tried to figure out the percentage of actual time travel episodes compared to the overall number of episodes in each series. Mm Mm-hmm. By my crappy estimation, what show or shows do you think were at the bottom as far as having the fewest time travel episodes? I would have to say probably Enterprise. Just because it's already in the past. They're already doing a prequel series, so they probably want to avoid even more time shenanigans. You would think so. However, had you watched more Enterprise, you would have remembered that they have a large subplot that runs throughout the first few seasons. I mean, they have time travel in their pilot. From what I measured out, Enterprise had the most time travel, and I put it at 11% of the series. With your complicated super math. And the ones that I figured had the least amount, again, as a proportion, the original series and DS9 tied for the lowest percent. Really? Well, you figure something like Enterprise, I counted 11 episodes that directly dealt with time travel. And I also split up something like Year of Hell. I counted that as two episodes. That's fair. Or All Good Things, I would count as two episodes. Mm-hmm. So Enterprise had 11 time travel episodes out of 98. So that's a pretty big percent. That is. But the original series and DS9 clocked in at about 5% of their overall episodes. Okay, and I think, I want to say the original series has the least amount of episodes overall, too. Yep, that's correct. At 79. <laughs> Ooh, your dog has an opinion about that. He thinks that every episode's a time travel episode. (laughs) He thinks it's a a tragedy that the original series didn't go longer. (laughs) That's what he's upset about. We've established that time travel runs through the veins of every show. Let's start with your pick, which is Trials and Tribulations. Mm Mm-hmm. From Season 5 of Deep Space Nine, give me just a little summary of what the plot's about. 
definitely the most meta episode of Star Trek, and I think that's what I love about it. It starts with, I think it was called the Time Bureau, investigating Benjamin Sisko and the crew of the Defiant, uh, because they got, they accidentally got stuck back in time and ended up in the middle of the Trouble with Tribbles episode of the original series. And so half the episode is them superimposed over footage of the original. <laughs> I mean, once Forrest Gump had Tom Hanks and shots with JFK and LBJ, it opened a can of worms and everybody had to do that stuff. And that was it. It was over. They had to do it. Well, there's a, there, uh, a Klingon who tried to kill Kirk... The first time around, uses the Defiant the time travel and try again. And of course that fails. And it just leads to my favorite joke in the whole series of Worf trying to explain these normal looking dudes are also Klingons. With the joke of, it's a long story and we do not talk about it. (laughs) That was a great example of how the show just got so much better when they brought Worf on. Worf is the crux of, I want to say that show. I think when they're, when they're going for the, the human aspect, it's definitely Odo. Mm-hmm. But Worf was just such a tentpole. The alien characters in general really worked well in Deep Space Nine. Well, and Worf brought a cachet with him from TNG that just made the story so much richer knowing you had that legacy character there. Is Chief O'Brien a joke to you? <laughs> Compared to Worf, yeah, he is. <laughs> <laughs> Cole Meany would like a word. <laughs> I'll take that call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be a pretty cool call. You have all these characters thrown back in time, seeing them inserted into those shots how they seem to do a pretty good job of restraining themselves. And the parts where you see the old characters from the original series, Kirk, Spock, etc., it seems to only be when they need them to move the plot along. Yes, for the most part, it's still about the Deep Space Nine crew. I mean, do you remember which original cast characters we see first? I think the first one we see is Scotty and Chekhov. I want to say in the mess hall, when a fight breaks out. Before that, even, it's Chekhov and Uhura when they get a triple. Oh, yes. Yes, that's right. I forgot Uhura was there at the bar when they handed him. And because the triples factor into the plot the original show and then this anniversary show of Deep Space Nine I I thought for a second oh why didn't they show Kirk or Spock or somebody a bit more uh, well known and then I realized oh yeah there's a plot reason for this why we would see these characters first Mm -hmm. that was lovely do you think it succeeded as a time travel plot Yes, it wasn't a necessary time travel plot, but I think it worked. It ended in a good joke about how Kirk was such a breaker of time. 
it seems so easy to do in the future that people just stumble into it, like the characters do in that episode of DS9. Yes, with their Bajoran MacGuffin. (laughs) Yeah, and I love how they say, when we picked it up, we didn't even know it was going to do time travel. Really, nobody, nobody would tell you the properties of this thing before you picked it up, this religious relic that they've been praying to forever. They're not going to tell you, oh, by the way, be careful. You can go back in time. <laughs> oh, oh, Bob got ate by a dinosaur. Like, it's dangerous. <laughs> exactly. It hits all the right notes, because this did come out during the 30th anniversary of the original show. And on a fun, carefree level, it totally succeeds. But the whole time I was watching it, I was thinking, there are zero stakes to this. The plot in the episode is for this character to kill Kirk, who embarrassed him, right? Yes. We know he's going to fail. And then we know our characters are absolutely going to get back home. Not just because it's got to return the status quo, in Star Trek fashion, mm-hmm. but because it's bookended by Cisco talking to those Time Bureau suits. The whole episode is a flashback. It's a tale that's already concluded. As fun as those scenes are with the Time Bureau people, if they just didn't have that, and we could just go straight into the episode like a normal adventure, because then at least we'd have a little bit of a surprise then automatically knowing, oh, Cisco's going to talk to these guys about time travel. Guess what happens? They travel through time. Surprise. No, John, it wasn't a surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was shocked. (laughs) Did you see this episode when it originally aired? I did. I was talking about it for uh, probably a couple months with whoever would listen. It must have been a real treat back then. It was. It really was. Yeah, unfortunately, I didn't catch it till years later, but it's still very effective, especially now that the Trek I knew is pretty much dead and gone. To revel in Star Trek, Trials and Tribulations just hits a home run. Now, while we're saying that it's just stakeless fun, there are a couple of details that really affect the canon. One being what you mentioned earlier, Worf talking about the lack of Klingon ridges for those original series depictions. In reality, it was a lack of makeup budget. <laughs> and this is probably what you're about to talk about. I think they didn't they, did they not rectify that in Enterprise? Well, not rectified, but they, they followed in Worf's uh, path when he says that it's some secret thing he doesn't want to talk about. And they they just expand upon that so that it doesn't quite override what he felt or said in, in Trials and Tribulations. It just builds on it. So I love that continuity. Uh, yeah, they do explain it. What's your view on explaining the differences between the old show and the newer properties? Do you want them to give a in-universe explanation, or do you just want to kind of ignore it? I'm fine with ignoring it, but it works. I think if the explanation is good enough, that's all people kind of want. 
But the biggest thing they do is make the aesthetic of the original series, that 60s sci-fi look. They firmly say by this episode that that is exactly the way it looked. And when we go back in time, that's exactly the way we're going to portray all that stuff. Dax, I think, brought up that she lived through that era and missed all the the retroness of it. I really appreciate the show for this because it's too easy to just ignore it and say for production reasons it was different. It's more challenging for them to acknowledge the way it looked and bring it into the canon. And I love that they did that. They did it a little bit in TNG with uh, Scotty making a guest appearance and we get to go to the holodeck and see the bridge of the old Enterprise. But that was such a short little scene that it's like, eh, it's just a little throwaway. But this, taking so much in that time frame, and the characters are constantly commenting on it, the way the old characters look and the sets, it fits in beautifully with what I'd like to think about it, which is, yes, all that 60s stuff, it did look that way because that time frame in the universe of Star Trek I'd like to imagine it being very frivolous. There's relative peace in the galaxy. The Federation is pretty new. And they're just going gallivanting throughout the stars. Kirk, a perfect example of that. And so they're not wearing functional uniforms. They're wearing skirts. They're wearing high boots. And everything just looks gaudy as hell because that's the salad days of space travel. The intergalactic free sex era. Exactly. I mean, time is cyclical, so why couldn't there be... Why couldn't the 60s come back, but in the future? Yeah. And then you figure by the time of uh, Next Generation, okay, you got the Borg, eventually you got the Dominion, there's interstellar war. You know, everybody's wearing better uniforms. Everybody's got labels on their buttons on their consoles because they need to be able to read everything. <laughs> and so they don't have the time to, to play it so loosey-goosey. I feel like the Klingon War was basically uh, an allegory for the Vietnam War, which goes back to the why everyone, the, the peacekeepers being in that aesthetic. And then you've just come to the corporate era. The next generation is the corporate, we can't do that anymore era. <laughs> Damn, John, you keep making me think about Star Trek in new ways. I got you. Any final thoughts about Trials and Tribulations? Yes. I think we both chose episodes where Quark kind of got written out, and I feel bad about that. (laughs) That wasn't on purpose. It was not on purpose, but he definitely got the short end of the stick. And he is one of my favorite characters. So we go from Trials and Tribulations to later that same season, season five. And we get to Children of Time. Now, whereas Trials and Tribulations was a fun, carefree, lighthearted episode, just a romp through Star Trek lore... Children of Time is a bit weightier, a bit more profound. There's genocide. <laughs> <laughs> it is genocide. 
but in a way that you can't really put the blame on anybody. Kind of. You can. Odo definitely screwed everything up. <laughs> he did, but he did for love. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Oh, yeah, we will, yeah. The episode is the Defiant, the ship, ends up on a planet with these, I think they said eight or 9,000 inhabitants. And it turns out that these people are actually their descendants because the crew of the Defiant, when they try to leave the planet, are going to end up having an accident and crashing and being marooned on this planet. And then they're going to end up siring these generations of people. The time travel part of it, well, it happens off screen, doesn't it? When the episode ends is when the time travel will occur. Or before. Yeah, that too. <laughs> this episode has two meaty ideas in it. One being, should the crew of the Defiant try to save themselves and leave the planet successfully, and in doing so, not having kids on the planet and not giving birth to this society? Or do they purposefully stay there just so these people that they've met will be born and this whole society will come about? That's one aspect of it. And then the second part of it that you mentioned before is Odo... And his love for Kira. And in the episode, we've got Odo on the Defiant, our present people. And, of course, uh, rather conveniently, he can't maintain his form on the planet, so he's in a bowl the whole episode. <laughs> bucket. I just assumed they had, like, a mop bucket off set up for him. I read about it. I believe it was a food processor that they just added a couple of lights to. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a behind-the-scenes thing, right? That wasn't, like, actual plot canon. No, no, no. That wasn't for the plot. It would have been really funny if that was the plot. I was just like, hey, we found an old food processor you can go in, Odo. Thanks. <laughs> that could be a sitcom thing where somebody accidentally tries to turn on the machine and cut up some vegetables while he's in there. <laughs> he gets angry. Our Odo that we know and love, he's not in the episode, but we do have old Odo, who, because of his changeling physiology, because he's an alien, he's managed to live through every subsequent generation, whereas the original crew is long since dead on this planet. And when he sees Kira, he professes his love for her. And their love and their dating is uh, a big part of the episode. John, what was your favorite aspect or even subplot? Because there's a lot of character study stuff in this. There is. It's amusing to see how each individual ideal became like a societal aspect of this, uh, these future folk. Worse ideals got passed down as an ideology. It's no longer just a Klingon thing. They had actual Klingons, but then they had people who just joined the Klingon. I don't want to call it a cult. 
but it kind of sounded like a cult. It was amusing uh, from the Odo aspect of, like, he was just happy keeping his feelings to himself. He took a nap, and when he woke up, basically his diary had been read to everybody. And because of changelings being able to link with each other because their natural form is a liquid, old Odo actually linked with our Odo. So imagine you're stuck in a jar, and then your future self links with you and pretty much says, oh, guess what? I told her our secret that you're in love with her. Deal with it. (laughs) Bye! That just goes to show how much old Odo had changed. They did a great job making his makeup effects just subtly more detailed because he's had more time to look more human. That had to be, from an actor perspective, one of the better days uh, of shooting just because he didn't have to spend so long in the makeup chair. Worf, having been the comedy relief in Trials and Tribulations, in Children of Time, he's very somber, serious, and I think that shows why he might have been the best choice as far as cast members they could have brought over from TNG, because he can be so funny when he needs to be or when they want him to be in the episode, but then so dramatic and serious when the occasion calls for it. The best way to be funny is to try and not be funny. And a good example of this is Men in Black. In the second one, there's a really good scene where two characters are talking and they have an Employee of the Month plaque up. And they're like, someone's going to look at this. You know what they're going to say? And the uh, other character's like, employees spelt wrong. And the other guy, without missing a beat, says they charge by the letter. And then he goes on a heartfelt speech. And you can do stuff like that with Worf, because he's serious. So you can get good comedy out of a serious character. But this episode, I think, it really challenged his beliefs. The Klingons are talking about facing their death. That's no death, just kill us now, we want to die in battle. He really had to think about that. Really good aspect for all the characters having to think about save their own lives or doom these... 8,000 settlers. Okay, so there's something about that dilemma that I thought was a little off even before they started figuring out a way to, to leave or whether they should. So the leader of the settlement wants them, he assures them that they'll be able to leave, but doing it the way he wants them to, because there's this energy barrier around the planet, that they'll leave, but they'll create a duplicate of themselves. And if you really want to figure out what that all means, please watch the episode. (laughs) (laughs) But they're going to end up creating some quantum duplicates of themselves that'll still end up crashing and then forming the basis of their society. And that is pretty much what everybody's working toward early in the episode. But did it strike you at all as being unethical to say, okay, well, I'm going to escape, but I'm essentially going to create a clone of myself and doom them here. It is unethical. 
that totally took the uh, bite out of the episode if that was if that's how they intended to go through with it the whole time because there's no strife you're just as soon as the episode starts you're like all right this is how we get out we got 40 minutes to fill exactly that's the thing about time travel episodes in a show that is about 42 minutes long is that there's so many cans of worms opened that I'm sure somebody said that in the writer's room, pointed out that detail. But they're like, no, time's ticking away. We can't have them stop and talk about every dilemma. (laughs) Come on, don't you think they thought of that? Yeah, they had to have, but it's an ensemble cast. So you gotta, yeah, you gotta go through, you've got the plot, and then you have all the character stuff, and there's a B-plot, and there's a lot going on. And I'm sure there was a segment of the viewing audience that it just went right over their heads. Yeah. Not our audience, of course. No. Not the smart people that listen to this show. Going back to Old Odo, something struck me as amazing rewatching this. And I've only seen this episode once or twice before. He made me realize. Because there's some really great, dramatic, romantic moments in this episode. And I like Data more, but as a character to write for, Odo has so much more going on. He's so much more interesting. Going back to that, what does it mean to be human thing? It's not just human for him, it's solid life. He's basically an amorphous blob, and they just take the shape of humanoids. So he's got a lot to do. Because at this point in track, you know what it means to be Klingon, too. You know what it means to be Vulcan. And I was thinking, could there have been an episode like this for Data? And there kind of was when he's uh, practicing dating that one crewman. You remember that episode? Yeah. Didn't she die? No, I thought she. J- I thought they just stopped seeing each other. That's possible. I remember they got into a fight because one of his subroutines stated that they needed to fight every now and then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the thing of it is, even when you have that big romantic crescendo, it's always going to have to come from the character he's playing off of. Data himself, he's never going to actually show those emotions the way Odo can. There are a few times it almost looks like older Odo's going to cry in the episode. That's because Renee's a really good actor. (laughs) No, it's because he was in a makeup chair for five hours. (laughs) (laughs) He's just tired. (laughs) He's like, take 25. (sighs) If we don't stop filming soon, I gotta go back to the makeup chair for tomorrow. Would you recommend either of these episodes for a totally new Star Trek viewer or one with very little experience? No, simply because, again, in this episode also, Quark gets the shaft. He just appears as, like, I think a teaching program real quick. I don't mind Quark, but if he's the character they leave out, I don't miss him. I'm going to disagree with you a little bit in terms of 
having people watch either of these episodes just to watch them outside of the grander scheme of things in the franchise. I would say Children of Time functions enough like a episode of Twilight Zone that if you're not too into Star Trek, you don't really know any of the characters, if you're just a sci-fi fan, you might still enjoy watching the episode. That's fair. I feel like there's not enough characters interacting with each other. I think the way the, the crew interacts with themselves is the meat of the show. And definitely, like, Trials and Tribulations is like, that is 100% for us. That is not for a casual fan you're trying to get into the show. Yeah, because anybody watching that is going to say, oh, so, so DS9's a comedy. No, it's not. They're going to see comedy aspects. They're going to be confused by why these other actors are there. They're not going to understand how handsome James T. Kirk was. <laughs> Makes me sad. <laughs> uh, since we did get into a couple episodes that aren't very good for first-timers... Are there any time travel stories in Trek that you think would work as not an introduction, but earlier on in somebody's experience with it? I think the original series had a really good episode. Uh, I think it was Time Knife. Uh, Bones traveled through time, met a woman, fell in love. And, like, he saved her life because of this, and she was the reason Nazis were able to take over on Earth in World War II. And so they did a lot of episodes where, in the original series, where Bones basically had to let a woman he loved die. That was a time travel episode. That was, like, one of the best examples of he had to give up something he loved for the greater good. You're not thinking of City on the Edge of Forever, are you? Most likely. Okay. Because you said Bones. You mean Kirk had to give her up. Was Kirk the one who fell in love? Yeah. Now, get geeky with me for a second. <laughs> Recall my memory banks here. It's stored way, way, way back in there. Bones, he was high on something, accidentally went through a time portal, and then accidentally futzed with time, and then Kirk and Spock go to retrieve him, and that's where they meet Edith Keeler. It is Kirk. I'm, I'm looking it up on Wikipedia. <laughs> oh, you cheater. <laughs> <laughs> I want facts, and Wikipedia is probably not the best place, because I could change this now and make it McCoy. <laughs> I'll just change it now and say Frank went back in time. <laughs> yes, I want my residuals. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's like a solid 60 years of them, too. <laughs> yeah, that's all, like, all at once. <laughs> that's retirement right there for you. Well, crap, man. I guess that's just you giving up and letting everybody know that I have outfoxed you. Yeah, you did, because I'm, I thought it was McCoy who fell in love but that's still it's still even even though i'm wrong that's still a really good example of 
uh, emotional impact that the original series could bring, and Star Trek in general. And their characterizations are so firm every episode that pretty quickly you'll go, oh, okay, Spock is logical, Kirk's the leader. Bones is supposed to be the doctor, but for some reason he's always on these weird sci-fi adventures. Well, I would take a doctor with me to these places where things are constantly trying to kill me. Yeah, but you don't bring your head surgeon. I think I feel like you bring a nurse that knows how to run an IV, but you're not going to miss when the goo monster eats her. Hey, I'm not going to bring a nurse with me when some monster is trying to suck the salt out of my face. <laughs> <laughs> I need a salty doctor like Bones. 